McDonald's one, two, three dollar menu has breakfast, which means now you can get your favorites for one, two, or three dollars. Or, as Jill likes to call it, the I burnt the toast, set off the smoke detector, and filled the apartment with smoke meal. <coughs> Build whatever breakfast you want with McDonald's one, two, three dollar menu. Get your favorites from McDonald's one, two, three dollar menu, like a delicious sausage McMuffin or sausage biscuit, each for just one dollar. A la carte only at participating McDonald's for a limited time cannot be combined with any other offer or any combo meal. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Mike Hintz. He is the founder and president of Northlink Consulting. With his diverse personal and professional background as a freelance artist, ICU nurse, military officer, and global sales and training leader, Mike offers a fresh perspective to executive teams on how to optimize their marketing and sales channel. He strives to help people reach their full potential. Mike and I will be having a conversation about his life's journey and his recently released book, Discover Your Best Life, Live the Language of Personal and Professional Success. Good morning, Mike. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today, sir? Good morning, Johnny. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Discover Your Best Life is truly a great book. It is very well written. Love the easy-to-apply instructions. Congratulations on its release. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was a wonderful journey, and I'm happy to have it out there so I can share it with people now. Fantastic. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Sure. <laughs> what an interesting question. Let's give you the, the, the <laughs> linear progression. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I hear my mom uh, tell me the story about how I was a, uh, I was slow to come into this world. She uh, she was an overdue mother uh, giving birth in Florida when my, my dad was down in the Army. And um, she tells me they had to yank me out with forceps. I was so reluctant to come into this world. <laughs> and uh, I was an only child for the most part. I was young, and uh, a lot of my, a lot of times, my mom was a working mother. So I found myself as a young kid needing to kind of already. It already set the stage for me to begin to rely on myself and to kind of, you know, explore this inner world within myself. I. Uh, entertain myself. Of course, there were some friends, but I spent a lot of time as a kid learning and playing and uh, watched, watched a fair bit of TV as a kid, but I, I had a very rich inner world, kind of a creative kind of thinker myself. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew up, that kind of just continued to set the stage for, you know, being interested in myself, but also being interested in how I was different or the same as the people around me. Um, I grew up in West Michigan and uh had an interesting life i uh i have uh i was married twice i have two i have uh, uh two ex spouses and four daughters and uh I, you can tell in the book early on in the book i'm currently married to my husband and live in west michigan so mm-hmm. i've had a very interesting path through life a lot of that sets the foundation for many of the things i've learned and shared throughout the book fantastic why did you pursue a nursing career? It's a really good question. I, at the time, 
I was in the military and I was playing, uh, I was playing in a military band. We'd done some overseas travel into London and, you know, I had a decent career. I was, you know, making a good income for my, for me and my spouse at the time. And then we had our first daughter and, uh, I quickly was welcomed into the adult world of parenting. And like, wow, I realized I need to, I need to ramp up what I'm doing for my family. At the time I was working in a local hospital and um, I, I just saw all these nurses and really felt a kinship with them. I felt a kinship with their ability to take care of people, to kind of be there in their moment of need. I also was very interested in the, um, the kind of technological healthcare surroundings in the ICU and knew kind of that's where I wanted to end up. And uh, that's really through the whole time of nursing school, I really planned on landing in the ICU out of school. You must have a sort of an urge to just care about people because there's a different industry in the way. Doing it for one day is one thing, but to do it day in, day out for 10, 12 hours straight and seeing that stress factor, the people that sometimes I guess in this case do expire in front of us. So that must be pretty challenging from that perspective. Definitely. I mean, the, you know, nursing career in, in general, it can be a challenging career regardless of whether you're in the ICU or taking mm-hmm. care of patients in hospice or nursing homes or any, any portion of it has its right. challenge. For me, I, I think that at the end of the day, I see people as this really valuable thing. Mm-hmm. That that extends to myself. Like I have a, I, I've grown to have a lot of good personal value in myself, but that extends to everybody else as well. And I think, you know, back then I didn't articulate it as well as I'm doing right now. But I knew that I, the people were a valuable thing, and I wanted to help people. And I knew I could. And it was a rewarding yeah. career, and uh, it was a natural extension of my desire to help people. Very very interesting. So what made you switch to the business side of the healthcare industry? <laughs> but it, which, which can seem like a big switch. I mean, there, <laughs> there are definitely some nurses that get into healthcare sales, but not too many really make the leap. So this, you know, my mom would tell you, and I, I would probably tell you, I was also in the Boy Scouts, which I don't think I put in my bio. I was in Boy Scouts yeah. a large portion of my middle school years. And, um, I happened to win every single one of our yearly sales competitions in the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I, I think when I look back on it, I, I have just kind of this natural competitive salesperson streak in me. Yeah. And, um, you know, after working in nursing for about six years, you know, I felt like I had learned what I wanted to learn and also wanted to, uh, have better financial opportunities for my family and also, you know, some better hours and just kind of make that move to the next step in my career. And Mm -hmm. I saw all kinds of medical salespeople that would come into our unit. Right. And they seemed to really be enjoying their work. And so that was my, that was the onus to, uh, to move on to medical sales. Very interesting. As you get older from that perspective, as you were in school and Boy Scouts, that's the period of time where we really are forging who we are, so to speak. When did you realize right. that you are a people person? Um, I, think, I think a lot of it had to do with the lessons I learned from my mom when I was younger. Um, I spent a year, my mom was a single mom for most of her, a lot of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
believe it or not, she's really the person I learned how to be competitive from. She's the person mm-hmm. I learned uh, a lot of my basics of sales, and I and she also is a very caring person towards people. Um, you know, she she does it in a way, and I've learned that, you know, you can care for people, but not at your own not not to the point where you're giving away everything that you have. You know, I think mm-hmm. too many people struggle with being a doormat or that kind of kind of. Uh, uh, that kind of caring behavior, but I think she taught me to really to value people in a way that I could help them while still being a help to myself. In reading your book, it's not necessarily just caring. There's caring and there's nurturing, and I get a lot of that nurturing energy in reading the book. Yep, definitely. Um, you know, one thing I haven't, uh, one thing that's not in the book that your that your listeners will get a great preview in is I also sew quite a bit, which I learned from my mom. And so mm-hmm. uh, when I when when my nurturing energy really is at full peak, I also uh, will make quilts for friends. And and I think I think that all of us, to some degree, have to tap into both sides of us, both sides of our you know, what might look like a high-end professional or a global sales consultant, and then also a nurturing person that cares for people, just one-on-one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. those two can be very compatible within a single person, just like they can be for everybody else. So true, so true. How did your personal skills evolve over the years while experiencing the many facets of your professional career? Because your curriculum vitae had so much stuff in it in terms of this is the professional side of the equation. And you mentioned just now in your personal side of the equation, at the same time, you were traveling on this duality track. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. Yeah, I think um, when I look back on it, I think the first thing that, that, I, that I had when you talk about a professional world is I really had a willingness to take adventures. And I wasn't too afraid you know, I wasn't too afraid of embracing a change and making a change and <clears throat> and trying something new. I think ultimately I I had a certain confidence in what I could try, but I think what I had the most confidence in was my willingness to to survive, take a risk and be successful. I never really I never really spent a whole lot of time fretting about failure. I knew it might happen and and certainly I've had failures throughout my career, but I never really um, focused on that too much. I was always focused on um, how I could make it a success or how I could be a success or at least make this work for me in my next career. But then obviously you mentioned there's, you know, I had this kind of duality or this, you know, um, hidden life that was going on at the time. I think yeah. my career was a was a very good outlet for my mm-hmm for my personal issues that were going on at the time. Um, and, you know, at when I was married and had children young, um, I was able, I took a lot of that energy that I was focused on in, in maintaining a certain persona out there to the world. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of that energy and put it into my career as well. Wonderful. Who were some of your influences in your life and why? Well, I think, you know, the readers will see in the book really quickly. My great-grandmother was one of my – my great-grandmother and my grandfather 
were probably the two biggest influences. And obviously I've already talked about my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my great grandmother was a very simple kind of a lot of people might use the word hillbilly or back hills or, you know, country woman. Um, But she was a very simple country woman that lived 102 years by the time she ended and passed on and really learned from her some real basic values about how to treat people, how to take care of yourself, how to be strong and kind of make it through life. My grandfather, her, um, her son-in-law, he married her daughter, Alice. My grandfather Mm -hmm. Warner was German descent and, um, really kind of kind of taught me a zest for life he was a fun loving man who struggled with arthritis Um, he died early but um, he struggled with debilitating arthritis his entire life my mom tells a story of him crying every morning from arthritis pain although as his grandson i would have never known it we spent summers together going up to visit his mother-in-law and we would uh, his grand he would take grandchildren to his trailer and just really enjoy the outdoors, relaxing, and um, really connected with him in, in, in the simple things of life. Very, very interesting. What inspired you to write Discover Your Best Life? That's a fantastic question. I, uh, <laughs> I had the luxury of getting involved in my consulting career through the downsizing of, you know, that a lot of people in corporate America are, appear, are experiencing. Um, they, they cut my position at my last corporate job and I knew that uh, the entrepreneurial path was my next adventure I was going to take. So yeah, I was in that for a couple of years and, um, I, you know, my natural extens- extension to try to, to try to do exactly what I asked the readers to do, which is blend my personal and professional lives in, into this tool is take some of the lessons I've learned in my own life and combine it with my per- professional efforts really led me to start the journey. And, you know, oftentimes the book that writers think they're going to write isn't what comes out. So it was an interesting process. True. Why is the book relevant in today's world? Well, I think many people today are experiencing a world that's changing very fast. I think when you look past, when you look back in the 1920s and 30s and 50s and on through the 60s and 70s and 80s and so on, the pace of change is speeding up. In the 1950s, there, I think many people looked at the nuclear family and you know, there was a father who was working and many times the mother was staying home. And it was this very traditional picture, which was, which was flipped on its head during the 60s and 70s. And we've experienced all the technological changes of the 80s and 90s. And now we're on the verge of artificial intelligence, self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we have a whole generation of people that have grown up. We also have many generations of people that are just running really fast to try to keep up with it. And so I think my book speaks to both of those people about not getting lost in technology and finding your humanness and then also finding a way to deal with the technology within your humanness. So getting, getting in touch with yourself so that you are equipped to embrace some of the technology that might be, might be scary to you. Well, so true. In reading your book, 
I love all the exercises that you have in the book. And again, like I said, it's very, very easy to understand. And you really walk people through in terms of giving them the thought process. You ask the right questions and so forth to kind of really guide them and get them on this track in terms of thinking. I particularly like right off the bat, the exercise number one, which is we live two lives, the public and personal life itself. And so it's how we do this delicate balance of the two, our public life and our personal life, that really spells out the authenticity that we so much strive for and would like people to see us as. So that's the exciting part. What else that makes your book different from others? I think um, I think I, I I personally like it because it blends the personal and the professional pursuits of people. Mm-hmm. I think you know there's lots of self-help books on the market. It's a very crowded uh, it's a crowded uh, shelf on the, in the bookstore, um, and there and you know there's plenty of business books out there that talk about finance and strategy and sales and all that kind of stuff. But I think there aren't too many books that are trying to blend the two. So like you mentioned, mm-hmm. Johnny. You know, I really talk to the individual reader. It doesn't matter if they're a global CEO of a billion-dollar company. They're an individual person as well. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's a mother who stays home with her children and may not have a corporate job or, or you know, staying home with her children might be her job. She's an individual person as well, and she also has a professional or an outer persona, even though she may, she or he may not go to work every day outside of the home. So we all have this inner, outer, public, personal, professional. We all have those those two different sides, and so I would ask everyone to bring them closer in alignment, like you said, because the more aligned they are, the better off we are as people living our lives. Wonderful. Well, Mike, how do you define success? <laughs> wow, that is the million-dollar question. <laughs> I I think for me, so I will uh, I'll model some authenticity for your readers, right? So my definition mm-hmm. of success might be different than everyone else's living. So for me, my definition of success has to do with uh, my ability to balance my time to to be able to have diverse um, working environments. So I'm able to work with all different types of professional clients, but I'm also able to balance my life at home, spend time with my husband and my daughters. I still have a young daughter at home in school. We've lately been uh, on the adventure of getting her her license. She's turning 16 in a few days. So, you know, making sure I still have the time to spend with her and I'm not mm-hmm. super busy traveling around the globe that I have to leave her, you know, without a lot of time together with one another. Um, and then also I have the time to per- pursue my professional endeavors, my growth kind of endeavors. It's mm-hmm. writing book two. It's uh, furthering a speaking career and kind of investing in that next phase. So I think for me, success is being able to blend for me, my personal and professional desires make enough money so that we're happy and feeling secure and enjoying um, enjoying our life together with my family and friends. Fantastic. So does that include scuba diving? It does. <laughs> as often <laughs> as I can make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
something I've been doing for about 12 years. I did a lot of it in the cold lakes of Lake Michigan with wreck dives and um, a lot of interesting stories there. And then lately, as I've grown into my 50s, early 50s, I, I'm, I'm more relocated towards the, the warm, clear waters in the Caribbean or Hawaii or Honduras or, you know, just beautiful fish, warm water, and just lots of, lots of beautiful happiness. I completely understand. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple, iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Mike Hintz. He is the founder and president of Northlink Consulting and the author of Discover Your Best Life, Live the Language of Personal and Professional Success. We're having a conversation about his life's journey and how you can discover your best life using his recently released book of the same title. Mike, how did you come up with the formula insight plus action equals my metaphor? Well, it, it, an interesting story here. So mm-hmm. um, we, we had the opportunity to host some close friends living in our basement for about nine months. They were struggling with some finances and I got, a, I got the phone call nobody likes to get in an evening that you find out your friend is, uh, you know, spent their last few dollars and they don't know what they're going to do. And of course, I mean, I said, you know, come, come stay, come live with us. We, uh, you have, you can't be on the street, mm-hmm. um, which was an, you know, an incredibly stressful and, but also rewarding time for my husband and I and our friends. And I, during that process, um, the gentleman who's part of the family, I'm going to just keep their names private if you don't mind. And uh, they, um, he's also a writer. He's done some writing and he's very, he's almost like a spiritual guru type person. He's very, very intelligent. And, you know, just, we had so many interesting conversations while they lived here. And one of them was about his books and I talked about my book and, and really the, the process and the framework of the book came out of those conversations with him and over dinners and back deck and boxed wine and really um, led to that basic framework and the genesis of the idea for the book. Fantastic. That's really wonderful. Does the environment we live in contribute to our ability to innovate? I think it does to some degree. Um, and, and it might be, I might give your listeners a surprising answer. Like, um, you know, you might hear from some people that, you know, a relaxed kind of Zen environment might help you innovate or, um, you know, uh, peaceful and, uh, you know, having enough money and a good surrounding and all that kind of stuff can, can boost your creativity and help you innovate. And why that might be true for some people I think the opposite is actually true for a lot of, for me, that the, the, those kind of environments don't help me innovate. I love relaxation and I love vacations and all that kind of stuff. But when I, the things that help me innovate are pressure and mm-hmm. um, a demand or a need or some stress or some, maybe even a little bit of chaos. And right. I think that for a lot of people, um, the, the term necessity is the mother of invention is so true in this way that when we are really struggling for and, and really pushing ourselves and pressing for a solution, oftentimes 
we do dig deeper than we normally do and are surprised with our level of creativity and innovation. Hence, my book drives people to dig deeper into themselves than they normally do on a daily basis. One of the things I really like about your book is the fact that as I go through my own process of refinement and sort of really narrowing down how is the best approach to get people going or ignite them, so to speak, like you use in your book, I find that woods, powerful woods, the type of woods that we use makes a huge difference. So coming back to your book, I love it. Tons of woods, igniting woods. So let's talk about one of the words. Why is the word insight important? Yeah, words, I, words matter. I mean, I, I want to, I think my, I'm going to have a bumper sticker on the, <laughs> on the back of my car that's going to say, words matter. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's trans, it, that's, in my perspective, it's a transcendent statement because they matter in so many different ways. They matter in right. our personal beliefs about ourselves. They matter in how we treat other people. They matter in how we approach our career. And I think the word insight is such a strong, strong word. And I would say that the energy around the insight phase, which is the first phase of that three-part process you mentioned, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably occupies about 40 to 50% of the book. That's, that's how important it is. Right. It's, the, it's the beginning of everything positive that happens after that. If, if too, ma- too many people are, are getting on their journeys and doing things and ac- trying to accomplish things, but they have no clue about the why. Why mm-hmm. do I do what I do? Why do I want to do what I do? Why do I want to accomplish this? Why should I? All of those why questions get answered during the insight phase. So true. The word that I really like that speaks to me is imagine. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> the reason for that is because that is what dreaming is all about. You've got to imagine it first because that's the seat that kicks off everything else. When I speak, I talk about dream, achieve, and become. Nice. How I kind of have people relate to that. This is interesting. Like I say, we both share the passion for words. I do a lot of creative writing in the sense that I create quotes for people. So that's why I love your book. I say, hey, man, this is great. Right up my alley. I got to get this guy up (laughs) on my radio show to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. How do the words starting with the letter I influence our thoughts? So when I was writing the book, I knew that uh, the insight phase, you know, in the formulation of the book, Mm really this process around insight is such a deep and important phase that is often missed within people. And Mm -hmm. I began to do some research around, you know, linguistics in the English language and just kind of looking at different words and really began to realize that words that start with I are extremely powerful, descriptive, um, motivating, and, uh, So they really lend themselves to this insight framework. So there are 48 I words that are a framework for each one of the phases. We introduce them during the insight phase. And uh, imaginative is one of them, right? I think that's where Mm -hmm. you picked it up. We we talk about the 
the power of imagination, finding and cultivating your imagination is one of the most powerful things you can do when developing personal insight. That's a mm-hmm. quote from page 55. It's beautiful. Totally, totally beautiful. What fuels our action? Um, desire. At the end of the day, it's desire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the beauty of this process, the beauty of this three-phase process is the one step fuels another step. So by, it's almost like, p- picture yourself um, having, a, uh, having a closet or a desk or a pantry at home that is just chaos. You can barely shut the door. There's so much stuff in there that you cannot even get the door shut. And you know it's there. You walk by it every day, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be so much work. I, 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 <laughs> I want to open the door to find out what's in there. But then you open up my book, and you realize I've got to open that door. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, we will walk everybody through. We, we open the door. We look at what's in there, and we figure out all the things that are in there that are either helping you or hurting you. And once you really understand everything that's in there, that's where the motivation to either keep stuff, get rid of it, change it, and put some action to what's in there. That's true. So true. One of the things that you talk about, the process of evolution, we evolve as human species and we evolve as a person over a period of time based on the environment, how we are influenced by the environment to evolve. And you talk a lot about the process of revolution. So how is a revolution a better way in achieving success than going through the process of evolution? Well, uh, you'll, you'll, readers will find out in the book that they're, they're both processes of change. We know evolution mm-hmm. has been happening, change, making change throughout human history. But revolution makes change in a very different way where evolution is more passive and kind of occurs by the needs of the environment around us, revolution is more active. It's more a decision we make. It's a response of something we're not satisfied with and that we actively choose to make a change. So that's why I would propose revolution instead of evolution. What you are encouraging people is to be really proactive. Don't sit around, and then you're always behind the eight ball versus ahead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we, we, you, you can't really live your live your life in the passenger seat. You have to live yourself live your life in the driver's seat. So true. Coming back to your personal life, in the sense that when I say personal, of course, professional and personal. As you go through the process of evolution and then revolution, looking back at the time spent. What are the wow moments of your life? Wow. Um, I think, <laughs> so interesting. I think the wow moments of my life are realizing that I fell in love for the first time in my mid-40s. Mm-hmm. And um, it took me a long time to do that. Um, I think the wow moments of my life are when my children were born. I think, I think the wow moments of my life is when I was able to understand that, yes, I might have spent time in marriages where I, you know, other people might say that you could regret that time. But I think when I look back on it, I really got to spend some time with two women who were my best friends at the time. 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you know create a family and and live a really 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 good life even though there were some personal elements of myself that I wanted to change and you know had mm-hmm. some pain because of that I think the wow becomes when we can incorporate all of the challenges and the positive parts of our life and really see them both for the good that they do us. Yeah, so true. How do we apply our insights to actions? So the, the real trick in uh, getting, so applying your insights in action is really taking a pause moment before you really choose the steps you're going to take. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people spend their time being quite reactionary so they respond to outside needs, whether I need more money, whether I need more time. I might be having a child coming on the way. I might be tired of being at home and I want to look for a career. And that all could be very true. But we would ask you to take your personal insights that you've gained and, and look at all of your possible actions before making the choice of where you're going to make, invest your time. What are you going to change? And why know why you're going to change it? Be purposeful in your actions. Right, so true. What I like about you are focusing on bringing people together, rather than, in your words, I believe I may not paraphrase this correctly, but rather than having them blend in, you are really focusing on making each individual achieve their best self. Now, this does not necessarily just be at work, but also at home. Yeah, definitely. Because, again, I've experienced that in my own personal life. You know, when, mm-hmm. I, when I was trying to blend in and be like other people and be the version of person that I thought the world wanted me to, there were parts of myself that I was holding back on. There were, there were things that yeah. I couldn't be authentic about and skills I was, were, were not using. And I think right. that's true for everybody else, that when, when we are really our truest self, and really embrace our uniqueness and all the unique skills the creator and the universe has given us all, that's when we are occupying our place in humanity. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all mm-hmm. created for a reason. We all have our unique gifts, and the world is a better place when we are more uniquely ourselves. Mm-hmm. So true. Can you give us some examples of having the right metaphors? Yes. In fact, I'm going to give the readers uh, better examples in book two. So I'm currently in the process of writing the second book, which is taking those 48 I words and Mm -hmm. uh, doing 25 mini biographies of 25 people who embody each one of those I words. And, um, you know, I think Amy comes to mind, who is a biography I just wrote. She's a victim of Mm -hmm. electrical burns and was uh, pretty pretty, pretty maimed as a young person, a fresh out of high school. And really that tragic event really helped shape her life. And she took it and created a whole passion out of it. So rather than being a victim of burn of a tragic burn, she now has taken that event and created an entire center post of her personal and professional driving force, her victim, her, her ability to be a burn victim is it creates a more an increased level of effectiveness as she passions for burn survivors across the world running the uh, Phoenix Society. As as people are able to incorporate, like just like I mentioned ago, the positive and the negative events. I think some of the negative events happen to us because they can be a foundation of a future mission. That's correct. 
Where is fear in all of this? It's everywhere. <laughs> it's all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> I think I think I use the word fear about fifty or seventy-five times in the entire book. Uh, it's you'd, you'd be hard-pressed mm-hmm. to look through five or tw- five or ten pages and not read the word fear somewhere because it's profound. I mean, fear holds yeah. us back in so many ways. I see it. I see it in my close everyday life, working with my mm-hmm. children and. And, and coworkers, and I see it in the news. Um, fear is fear is one of the great liars. It tells us that we're not good enough or that we're going to fail. But ultimately, fear is, failure is one of the best teachers we have. And I, I would love to uh, I would love to think that I've taught my children how to fail well and embrace yeah. failure. In fact, one of the best stories I heard about um, one of the female CEOs that uh, was quite innovative in a recent uh, post, she mentioned that when she was growing up, her father asked her every day at the dinner table, what did you fail at today? And it might seem weird to like talk about your kids' failures openly and kind of almost celebrating them. <laughs> but she mentioned that by doing that, it really helped her not be afraid of failure. I mean, it was like, yeah, yeah. Was, I failed at something. Big deal. Okay, move on. Next topic, and uh, we'll figure out what I'm going to fail at tomorrow. Right, 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 right. Well, no one succeeds without failing some way. You just don't know about it. <laughs> exactly, and I think the people, some people, feel like failure is terminal, and that mm-hmm. my goal in life should be to prevent failure. But that's not really yeah. true because. Failure is a required element. Every person who on this planet who's achieved something great and successful has failed numerous times. Right. And right. if we avoid failure, we avoid risk, and we avoid fear, and that starts that whole pathway of avoidance, and that does not lead to success, and it certainly doesn't lead to your best life. So true. So with that in mind, how do you define risk? Well, risk for me is uh, when I'm when I don't have all the answers. When I try to do something new. I mean, certainly when I'm working with clients and delivering workshops, that's not the time I'm trying to incorporate risk. I mean, that's that's the time to you know do the best and deliver a good workshop for everybody. You mm-hmm. know, flying by the seat of your pants and being lazy is not incorporating risk. That's just you know, you, if you can help yourself <laughs> and prepare, and Johnny, I, I was talking to you earlier, you have an extremely well-prepared, well-organized radio program. I'm very impressed with that. There's no need to incorporate risk there, right? Because you, you want that to be a really good product. Yeah. You can incorporate risk by taking an adventure, by doing or trying something that you might not be 100% ready for and just kind of pushing your envelope a little bit farther than you might normally do every day. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Mike Hintz. He is the founder and president of Northlink Consulting and the author of Discover Your Best Life. Live the language of personal and professional success. We're having a conversation about his life's journey and how you can discover your best life using his recently released book of the same title. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Mike, 
What are some of the major challenges that usually hold someone back from experiencing the best life now? Um, I think they come in all shapes and sizes. I, I, I really do think we just talked about this a little bit, Johnny. Um, we spent mm-hmm. a while talking about fear, but I yeah. think that when I, when I talk to people who are in the grips of, uh, of struggle in their life, it usually has some element of fear. I mean, look at, look at perfectionism for one, for just to take that one thing that I tend to see a lot. Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, whether people are struggling with OCD or like compulsive things, or whether they um, have this that have this achievement that they always must achieve, or whether they have to be dressed a certain way before they go out of the house, or someone doesn't want to go out with makeup or bad hair, or, you know, the perfectionism can get all different levels of intensity. All of that has a foundation of fear. It's a fear of not being good enough, not being accepted, or failure in some ways. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. won't like me. I, I won't get invited. I, they won't say hi to me, whatever the case. And I think, you know, fear holds a, a lot of people back. How can they quickly correct it? Well, um, I think I would just say it's kind of like the Nike phrase, just do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think even though you're afraid, uh, just do it. So I, I have a little bit of a fear of fight heights. You yeah. Know, I'll tell you my fears, right? Um, it happened. It probably happened with a diving accident about uh, eight years ago where I was 80 feet underwater, got disoriented in a big cloud of silt. And if you, if you know diving at all, your buoyancy mm-hmm. is very important. I was wearing a dry suit at the time. And so it got a lot of air and I immediately shot up to the surface in the, in the course of about, 80, about three seconds, I went from 80 feet below to the surface of the water, which wow. thankfully, yeah, thankfully no physical, physical mm-hmm. issues, but it really took me a long time to get back underwater again in a way that I mm-hmm. could enjoy diving. But it also produced a fear of heights, weirdly enough, because diving and heights go hand in hand. Um, and I went zip lining in Mexico a couple of years ago with some friends on vacation. We go to Mexico in the winter every year and I'm ready to zip line over this 3000 deep 3000 foot gully in Mexico mm-hmm. with just this one line and a harness on me. And I just was immediately gripped with this fear. And then I just talked to myself and I said, okay, Mike, be rational. If I, you know, of course, the, my fear is that I was going to get hurt or, uh, you know, the worst right. is, you know, I'm just going to die at that moment. But then I have to talk rationally. You know, this place wouldn't be here if people died with this. This, you know, uh, there would be <laughs> there would be warnings. People would be on the canyon <laughs> floor. There would be skeletons. You know, you, right. have, uh, you, you learn to kind of do this rational approach with yourself. Like you don't give in to the irrational crazy talk that your head's trying to get you in. That's probably the quickest right. thing. Then just do it. I agree. One of the things you talk about in the book is habit. How important is your habit aligning with your goals? Well, I think they go hand in hand. I mean, if your goals are your head, then your habit are your feet. And I think, you know, your habit is what you do um, and your goals are where you want to be. So, you know, if you have if you have bad habits, whether it be your personal life or your professional life, then that's certainly going to affect what you can achieve or what you're able to um, accomplish. I think, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I, try to, I try to facilitate good habits balancing my personal and professional life. It doesn't mean I always do them, but the right. more I cultivate better habits, the more likelihood, the more likely, excuse me, the more likely I'm going to achieve the balance I'm looking for. To be successful is to overcome those frightful moments and, of course, to align your behavior to match your desired goal. Do you have some quick suggestions for people that they can immediately embrace that will help people to process it and start acting on their insights? Well, I think the first thing you can do, first thing anyone can do, even before reading my book, is to learn about themselves. Um, you know, if, uh, if you haven't, if you are not a person who knows yourself well, then get to know yourself. You know, really, really think of, think of your life's mission as learning about yourself. There's lots of different ways to do it. Asking yourself why you do the things you do, what you like, why you like what you like, you know, all those kinds of things. There are lots of people out there for you to get to know but you're going to spend your life with yourself. You wake up with yourself every morning. And if you don't like who you have to live with 24-7, then learn who that person is and start the, start the journey of, of becoming the person you want to be. Um, I Fantastic. Think, yeah, mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and don't, be, don't be ruled by fear. You know, there are lots of people that may, have a lot, may be really trapped in a lot of fearful, fearful internal dialogue. And I would say it's not hopeless. It's never hopeless. So I would just take one thing, one thing a week, one thing a day, whatever you have the bandwidth for, and tackle that fear. And, and then move on. Just start ticking, ticking them off one by one. So true. Ultimately, you are the author of your own book, basically. Correct. A lot of times I've encountered a lot of people go through this process of they live their life based on the feedback they get from the environment. And that's why coming back to full circle, as we talk about how much does our environment impact our thought process. So do you have any particular exercise that you would recommend for someone that's going through that? Definitely. I would think so in, 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 in your example there, Johnny, Mm -hmm. I would change your feedback loop to be your own inner voice. Yeah. So rather than, rather than use the feedback from the outside world, which is unpredictable at best, have, have your feedback come from yourself. Mm-hmm. And then look at your own inner, inner, inner dialogue. And are you, being, are you overly critical of yourself or do you encourage yourself? Do you have a dialogue that is like your best friend, that's supportive of you, that's forgiving mm-hmm. and kind? If you don't right. have a forgiving, supportive, kind inner dialogue, I would change that today. So true. I would start with writing down your best attributes. We all have weaknesses. I tell people it's like a balance sheet, <laughs> a balance ledger. You're going to have yeah, definitely. your strength and your weaknesses, but focus on the strength. Definitely. I imagine a lot of your readers are parents or you know, they're raising children, and we try to do the best we can for our children. We know. As parents, a lot of times you've got to give five compliments and, you know, focus on the compliments. And if you give too many insults or, or, or not insults, but mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're too focused on negatives or failures, mm-hmm. that can affect people. Use that same yeah. perspective on yourself. 
That same perspective right. when you talk to yourself in the morning. Don't focus mm-hmm. on your negatives. Focus on the positive. Right. So true. And this comes back full circle with the words that you use. When you look at your loved ones, you talk about these are the positive things. These are the ones that we can clap our hands and be very cheerful about. And then when we look at the other side of the ledger, what does the word that comes into mind? Wow, area of opportunity. But then we don't use those kind of words when we talk about ourselves, and we should. Exactly. Yep. And then, and that goes to that first assessment that's in Chapter 2, that inner versus outer yeah. assessment. That, you yeah. know, I think you know, those kind of questions as I walk the readers through those statements and how they relate to themselves, that begins to reveal some of this. If, if you're really kind of confused and feel like you're in a cloud and you know, all this sounds interesting, but you don't know and you're not sure, I think that assessment begins that internal conversation and helping people find out which, what are the hot areas to address first. So true. How has writing the book impacted you personally? Well, it's really, uh, it's helped me uh, fine tune my long range planning because, you know, books don't happen overnight, especially first books. It was a two year process and Mm -hmm. it helped me learn, you know, I can, I can be real productive and real invigorated on a project. um, And, you know, sometimes it really pushed my ability to stay with the project and, and, you know, be long-term and help me learn more about my, what motivates me. And de- I'm mm-hmm. very motivated by deadlines and due dates and, you know, kind of all that kind of stuff for my time in school and nursing and military. So as I was getting to the final, final 20% of the book, I, I, I chose a release date even before the book was done. Mm-hmm. And then I even I even talked about it publicly to my clients and to my friends and my family. The book's coming out this date, mm-hmm. so it helped me. It helped motivate me to make that deadline and make that. And it, I, I really understood more about what made me tick as well. Right, right. Beautiful. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? So, of course, you can find a lot of information on NorthLinkConsulting.com. That's the name of my consulting company. And uh, that's North, N-O-R-T-H, Link, L-I-N-K, Consulting.com. And there's a tab there for the book, which has a link to all the uh, interviews. And, of course, Johnny, your your interview will be up there here in a few days. And um, I also am registered on Goodreads. So if you if you like independent bookstores and shopping uh, in that kind of world, you can find me on Goodreads as an author and also Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and uh, every other online purveyor of books. And hopefully the hardcover will be at a bookstore next near you. If it's not, you certainly can go in and ask. They can all order it very quickly and have it for you if you like to buy the old school books. It's also available on Kindle <laughs> and audio. So I did record the narration for the audio book. You can find the, chap- the first chapter on the website if you want to listen in advance, and you can find it at a podcast or audible.com. Fantastic. Let's take one last word to talk about. Why is the word invulnerable so powerful? So, you know, invulnerable is such an infrequently used word. There are several words in the I, the 48I words that are, that are unique and not always part of our common language. And right. invulnerable is, is one of them. 
You know, our ability to be invulnerable. We talked about authenticity today, and you know that all mm-hmm. kind of resembles some some vulnerability. And but at the end of the day, life can have its struggles, and we all of us need to have some way of getting to a point where we just refuse to be defeated. Where we at all? I mean, life. Uh, some of your listeners right now are experiencing real difficulties in life, and they might feel that they're one of their lowest points for a long time. But even being at that low point, you have a confidence that you will overcome, whether it be a month from now, a six months from now, a year from now, it might even be tomorrow. So I want each person to find out, find that place for them where they can have that kind of invulnerable spirit that motivates them when times get tough. Just wonderful. What is next for you? Uh, what's next for me? I'm uh, I'm traveling to Europe in the fall to work with a global client. So I'm doing a lot of work with a very large global healthcare client, and working on book two and uh, getting ready for um, you know a potential move. We got to move on the radar in a year and a half or two. We're not quite sure where we're going to end up. So. Uh, just really focusing on balancing our life and uh, meeting, you know, kind of enjoying the journey with my clients and readers. Very, very interesting. When you look back at your life and the things that you've gone through personally and professionally, and we talk about all the wow moments and so forth, were there a period of time where you truly experienced in a sense like, wait a minute now, maybe this is not what it's all about? Our parents have a sort of a roadmap for us. We have our own roadmap. <laughs> and then life has yeah. its own roadmap. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. I, I, th- I think I've, sper- I've experienced that multiple times in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the, the thing that really, prob- really set the foundation for that thinking for me was my car accident in 1994. I got into a very severe car accident, um, you know, nearly, nearly cashed my chips in and, um, but I thankfully I survived and he had some, had some really debilitating orthopedic injuries that took a long time to heal from. And so I spent six months at home and I think that really started the foundation of, of having, you know, a foundational faith, not, not, yeah. not so much churchy faith, religion, but yeah. a faith in, in, in our creator, in the divine energy that we, we all can tap into, and then also a faith in myself that I right. have the wherewithal to survive. Not only survive, mm-hmm. but I can come back. I can rebound no matter how difficult things get. I know I have the ability to rebound. Fantastic. By the way, as we end the hour, since our show is about people family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Definitely. I think for me, the, uh, the foundation for my recipe for success in living life is to, to know yourself, um, to learn about yourself. Be, be a student of yourself and who you are and what makes you tick. And, you know, you, there is nobody that should know you better than yourself. And, um, you know, become your best friend, your best cheerleader, and your your confidant. Because at the end of the day, um, spouses may come and go. We know children will move away, jobs will change, 
And but ultimately, you will spend all of your days with yourself. So true. Invest in yourself first. Correct. Definitely. Wonderful. Well, Mike, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me. I'm from my Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks, Tuesday morning, August 14. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Power of Yes, a collection of 101 stories about adventure, change, and positive thinking. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Mike, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Johnny, it's been a sincere pleasure getting to know you and talking with you and your listeners. I really appreciate the honor of coming on your program. I wish everyone a blessed day and for you have a wonderful summer and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. With a rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200-square-foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down mortgage option, my human realized a new home was within reach. And I only gave her puppy eyes once. Get your human to talk to a mortgage consultant or learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed-rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Equal housing lender. NMLS ID 399801. When your battery goes dead, everything can come to a stop. Don't take a chance on getting stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested free of charge. If your battery does need to be replaced, O'Reilly Auto Parts can help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or truck at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.